for Live Music presents Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we are in the vestibule of some half-built building a stone's throw from the Sweetwater Brewery on the cusp of Moe's celebration of Sweetwater's anniversary. What anniversary is this? 20 years of brewing the brew of Sweetwater. That's also known as 420 because that's their That is their linchpin. That's kind of like Budweiser of Atlanta. I'm not putting it down. It's because so many people drink it. It's so ever-present because it's a very, very popular beer, although they're festive. It's my favorite. And not to be sour, but I believe that they have a new oak wood room that they're brewing some sour stuff, so I'm kind of excited to get my on that. But you uh, want... Uh, Rob and Seth time That'll be at the end of the episode I, I have a little story about how one of my Old tour tricks doesn't work And uh, Seth will talk more about work exchange But initially but can you talk This is a key point of year for your work exchange team company We have launched our applications For our first initial events uh, We have Okeechobee Festival taking place next weekend Or is it two weekends? Two weekends um, And we're still accepting applications uh, For that but uh, Applications for our fan staffing at Firefly Music Festival as well as Electric Forest are now live. And there's two Electric Forest back-to-back with an interesting opportunity for volunteers to work uh, both of those. Um, so, yeah, please check it out, workexchangeteam.com. A lot of volunteers that have worked and fan staff that have worked our program are now in the music business. So for, for a lot of you, you want to save money on those tickets, you can come work. You work a, a total of 18 hours, broken into you know a couple shifts. Uh, you get to work fun, unique, and exciting departments. But also, for others, this is an opportunity to really create relationships and find your path, as we say, getting your feet wet in the music business. And if you're not familiar with Electric Forest, and if you like the bells and whistles of a festival, it has one of the most... I've, I've not been there myself, but... Maybe one, this year you'll come. I, well, it's 4th of July, right? I think I'm going to be in Chicago. But um, actually, I'll be out there. Maybe I could come out from Chicago. You really could, Rob. Okay. Uh, anyways... Um, the campground area. Can you talk for a minute about how unique the campground area, the, the whole theme and so forth? Well, the campground's amazing. Is it's just a nice open air campground? But that's not the th- the thing. The thing is Didn't the forest. Of, uh, yeah, the Sherwood yeah, Forest. Yeah, oh, that's, that's not the, the camp. No, no, no. That's okay. inside the venue. Oh my And goodness. it is a magical, magical place. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you know what? Maybe we'll even do an interview with the promoter for for Electric Forest. Sure, but we have a special guest here. Should we get we'll get to him? Our, Let's our, get to our him. Teammate from Live for Live Music, the reigning. Mayor, Mayor of, Modown, of Modown. And the man who had the best, uh, all my research on Jim Lachlan, the best interview and video was done by this man. He is Rex Thompson. Hey, guys. How you doing? Seth, always a pleasure. New guy. Good to, yeah, I'm Rob. Rob Turner. It's good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us about... Um, the process of becoming Mayor of Modown. And this happens at the, Mo, at the Modown, which is in September, Labor Day, right? Yep. Uh, it's, it's usually Labor Day this year. Uh, they're moving it to the 4th of July weekend. I didn't know that. I see. You know, oh. valid stuff there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, I think it's just before. I think it's the 31st through the 2nd or something like that. But, yeah, fans, uh, they come in. They spend the entire weekend campaigning in whatever devious and insane ways they come up with. And For an then, example, what, what are some of the ways people campaign? Uh, let's see. The, there are people who make big, beautiful... There's a guy who makes a big, beautiful mow-down sign made out of white that everybody comes and signs, and he makes his, a big, giant souvenir for the crowd. Nice. There are people who uh, throw these giant parties in a ditch, uh, the, an actual ditch one one year. Persons, places, things, I'm pretty sure concepts can win i've been beaten by pretty much all of them on, on my way to finally winning <laughs> but you did when you finally won though vote rex uh 
Rex spend. won, but then there was no Modown after that. So you've been the longest standing mayor. Is yeah, that correct? Uh, they, uh, Fish decided to have a little party like the weekend before uh, a couple of years ago, which kind of sort of drew a, a lot of the fans over that way. And yeah, they're fan hogs, those fish. Yeah, you know, it's how it rolls. But, uh, and then last year it was just kind of logistically impossible. So this is the first year it comes back. So, yeah, I've been the longest running mayor of Modown ever. It's a statistical anomaly, but it's one I'm proud of. <laughs> and and, go, go ahead. Go based ahead, on the interviews I've read and seen, they seem real comfortable. You seem to know the band really well. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I've been covering bands and stuff for a long time. The, the reason I started running was I kind of felt like, I was the only person who, if it was a real job, would be actually qualified for it. <laughs> you know, uh, I travel the country uh, covering Mo and covering all these other bands. I, you know, work with bands and promoters and fans and vendors and all that. Every aspect of a music festival is kind of mm-hmm. my bit. And and would you say that the uh, being a mayor got you your gig with Live for Live Music? Um, no, I would, I'd like to think that just all the other stuff I just mentioned, did, like, <laughs> like the that that video of Jim that you mentioned, I just did that. You know, that's I was bored, wanted to pimp Jim out a little bit, and everybody. Uh, one of the things I try and do as you know running for mayor is just answer the questions that the fans have, and everybody's like, "What's this that Jim pulls out, and what's that?" So I was there a little early and hanging out with Jim, and I was like, "Hey, let's just." Have you walked through every stupid thing in here and explained it all to everybody? Please don't tell me you asked Jim to pull it out. I, I did. Um, that part was edited out. It was a an easy, quick clip because it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Mo show? Um, you know, there, there, there's been a couple that have been pretty special to me. La- uh, hell, last night was epic. Last night moved into my top 20 just like by the end of the first set. It was discussed in our It was. So, Go Rob, ahead. keep it. Sometimes Rob will discuss things and then rediscuss them. Yeah, rediscuss them. <laughs> so, I'm like, Rob, you have to wait and listen, but it's, it's good things. It's good thing. There seems to be a legitimate excitement in the Mo fan base right now. Would you say that that's true? That the band is rejuvenated? That they're bringing out new material from the from the current originals that are new and bringing back old material? They're like the Timmy Tucker time ed head thing back into Timmy Tucker. That's kind of an old style mo. Is that not correct? They they have been peppering this, especially this winter tour. But really, over the last like three or four years, they've really been like just totally reascended. I, I believe they're playing as well now as I've ever seen them play, and I've been seeing it for like. 17 or 18 years so i mean yeah the the last this whole winter run that we've been on they've been breaking out some new songs from what we assume is going to be the next album although mo does have a long-standing uh habit of writing songs and literally never putting them on album we also talk about that (laughs) like at one point the best mo album that could ever exist it would have just been all the songs they hadn't put on an album yet well whatever happened to la la is sort of that right didn't they dig into the past they they did but you know we were still kind of waiting um, you know i've I've tried, but they're they're apparently never going to record George. You know, Al's point is, you know, we can't do a thirty-minute jam song on on one of our albums because nobody will listen to it. And I was like, how what, would they uh, not? What about one of the live albums? Uh, what what was the series called again? The uh, well, there's Doctor Stan's prescription, and then there's uh, the Warts and All, right. and then just Which the first one was Atlanta, right? We're yeah, pretty I, proud. I, I honestly oh, can't yeah. answer that off the top. Of my those head. were the Tabernacle shows. Yeah. Those were those. I remember I came up from Tallahassee for those shows, and it was just like. I mean, that was like fish well, the one they released the is the best too. Mo show I've so ever good. seen. So good. The one they released is the mm-hmm. best Mo show I've ever seen. The time we're not going. You were there? Didn't I know yeah, you? Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Well, we sort of knew each other. But. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend ever you. missing a Mo show, period. But definitely, they, they bring <laughs> a lot to the Tabernacle. What are your other favorite bands? 
Um, well, you know, uh, I'm, it, it's across the spectrum. I'm a huge Green Sky Bluegrass fan. I'm a huge Funk fan, so anything like George Porter's out there doing or anything like that. Uh, I'm a massive Primus fan, you know, um, like, say, Faith No More and, like, just up and down the spectrum. I kind of Elephant Revival. Like mm-hmm, a sure. like a Great. transcendental bluegrass band, yeah. uh, my my musical tastes are a little out there for some folks. So. Well, a lot of us jam band people are that way. Yeah, um, and and well, go ahead, I just want real real quick yeah, yeah. on Green Sky last mm-hmm. night and the night before. Oh, Paul yeah. and Anders sat in with Humphreys. They did. Um, Can't you see? Last night it was beautiful. Paul, I believe it. it's Anders. Anders, Mike. Thank you. Anders Beck. Wait, no, it's Anders Beck. Anders Beck. Anders Beck. Anders Osborne. Yeah. 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 I I love introducing the two of them. Anders, 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 Anders. And they just stare at me like, you've done this like 50 times, right? It's like Letterman at the Oscars. Yeah. What is he, Oprah? Who who did he say? I don't know. Who's the woman from Pulp Fiction? Oprah? And the woman from Pulp Fiction has another. I know, but I'm just going to leave you hanging. (laughs) What's your twist? (laughs) That's all right. So speaking of leaving people hanging, actually, it has really nothing to do with that. I want to just talk briefly about Live for Live Music and your writing with them. Uh, some of the, maybe as our listeners are now listening and reading, any article you want to kind of pin them to, maybe one or two mentions that, that they should check out? Uh, well, it's it's tempting to say all of them because, you know, <laughs> everybody works so dang hard on everything. Um, you got to pick one. Uh, well, if I had to pick one, it would be the one I'm going to put out tomorrow. Uh, oh, you know, go. last night was uh, a couple of most super fans anniversary shows. Uh, Osid, uh that was his 250th show. Hossid? Yeah, his name's Hossid. Uh, he probably doesn't want his last name. He, he wrote uh, one of the sort of occasional traditions is if you hit like 200 shows, the, the guys in Mo, they'll let you write the set list. And Hossid wrote uh, a truly incredible 200 show. We're going to include a link to that in the article. And then Barry Blonder, who's uh, it was his 350th show. He uh, He's one of the first people to bring Mo out to fort collins he was booking bands out there in 1995 and just heard a a, a cd of theirs uh heard head seed and said ah jammy i'll bring him out and he he was telling me just last night you know as soon as he heard the you know the first two songs he was like done i'm their biggest fan ever <laughs> done yeah all right, 350 well, that's even more than i saw the dead yes oh my gosh that's that tonight's is. 213 for me wow so. so when they write the set list though do they do it in advance and then the band has to kind of plan the shows leading up to it around that uh, set list uh or do they do it that day and look at the previous shows you and, know you'd have to ask them i guess well you're doing the article uh <laughs> no i mean I, I i didn't really get how that went down a couple of years ago and in my article i mean so the article's about, so, is it a recent show? No, yeah, it's about last night's show. I'm just going to write, yeah, that so was there. So even that 200. Johnny, what's that song that they busted out? Johnny Lineup. So that was his idea to break that song out? No, I'm not saying they wrote, somebody wrote that lineup. I'm just saying Austin wrote the 200 show. That's just a okay. a little thing that's going to be thrown in there as a nice little shout out to the history of these guys. That I just, I always, when I do these articles, I try and, you know, go a little bit above and beyond the, the normal and give a little extra and. You know, that was just the easy hook for that show. Mm-hmm. Just two big anniversaries like that for super fans. And Excellent. for our super fans listening, I know what you're hearing in the background. That's a train, and that's the same track, but a different area. Yeah, it's a tribute from, to our Mark Brownstein episode. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, a little quieter this time. And then, uh, Rob, what other question did you have for Rex uh, before we get into the interview? Well, how long have you been running for Live for Live Music? Do you enjoy working with them? Uh, oh, well, I love it. Um, I've been working there, uh, I guess it's two years now. Uh, I reached out to them at Jazz Fest as I was getting ready to go down, and I lined up all kinds of crazy coverage, and I uh, I didn't really so much have a great home for it. Um, you know, I, I started talking with Kunj and Sarah, the 
you know, sort of the brain trust. and Now engaged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'd like to real quick do a quick shout out to Dave Melamed, the editor who translates uh, Rex into English for you guys. Thanks, Dave. Yes. Um, Hello, Dave. Thanks for his work on our show as uh, well. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. He saves me. Uh, like, he just sends me messages like, English, d- did you grow up in this country? And I'm always like, <laughs> I-, I went to public school in Kentucky. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I, I act sort of as the free agent of the editorial staff or whatever. Uh, they just sort of, they like what I do writing and video and photo-wise. So, I just sort of send in a crazy schedule of where I want to go across the country, and they're like, go have fun then. All right. I'm doing 32 music festivals over oh the course this year. And probably wow. about 40, 50 regular shows. You know, so. And, uh, you know, I, I love working for Live for Live Music, but I've recently taken a night job that they'd love me to pimp out as well. Uh, uh, the Spirit of Swanee Music Park down mm-hmm. there in Florida. I'm sure. the in-house video photo social media helper guy good job Uh, nice work so like my day job is for live for live music travel in the country and when i finally get home that's where other concerts are constantly happening so this is i literally do live for live music yes you do uh speaking of swanee uh rob i haven't told you but paul levine promoter uh that does stuff at swanee also does other things at swanee and is involved with fool's paradise uh he'll be joining us here in a couple and hopefully we'll be going to fool's paradise although we still don't know but we should go to the interview. Yes, we should. Rex, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to enjoying the show with you. And listeners, enjoy this interview because we sure did. <laughs> Al Schneer and Jim Lachlan. on the back of the Mo bus with their percussion wizard Jim Lachlan and with their I would say principal songwriter and lead one of the lead guitarists and vocalists Al Schneer does he make you feel like he's a principal <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of have their principal look these days though kind of he's very official oh thank you for that by the way before we get started a, a big shout out to Bessie Smith from Chattanooga Tennessee this is her 100th hour interview so big day for her say hi to Bessie hey Bessie how's it going <laughs> if Bessie was here, she would say, Morific. See, Seth does this thing where he starts talking, he doesn't really have anywhere to go, and he feels right. like he's going to make up something good on the way, and yep. no, more often than not, he doesn't. Yep. Okay. But anyways. Right, a pun will come. It will. it will. Or not. <laughs> so, uh, a few things on recent Mo developments before we get back and um, go back in previous years. Okay. Because as I was surveying, part of my research was surveying your fan base. And there's a bit of excitement in the Mo community right now, even as recently as last night. Apparently, 
uh, performance-wise, Time Ed and Head in the middle of Timmy Tucker, people were raving about. But then also dusting off old songs like um, Johnny... Um, Johnny Line Up. Johnny Line Up, yeah. People were really... When was the last time you played that? I don't know. It's got to be at least five The last years, time, maybe? I'm yeah. sure. According to my notes, June 4th, um, and it was 2012. Seth mocks hardcore fans. Five years. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what prompted you to bring those out, and what prompted the whole seemingly new approach, for example, the um, not repeating early last tour? Not repeating the first few shows. That w- that was an accident. The not repeating. Well, yeah. I mean, we we've always tried. We you know we that's that's done by design where we don't repeat songs. I mean, sure. we'll go typically about four or five nights before we start repeating songs. But this time I, it was seven or eight, was it not? Well, yeah. And then we then then we really we realized it was a thing. Or if somebody someone posted that we hadn't yeah repeated a song yet yeah that this year. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, "Oh, there's there's a thing going on. We're we're like we were actually trending a little bit further than we normally had. <laughs> we're like, we should we should keep this up, and and then we intended to. I think yeah, it was Athens, should, the time right? We like actually the tried Athens set to. list was also supposed to be like every song on the set list except for one. Like we had, I, I wrote the set list that night, and then I changed it because there was some stuff that wasn't working. And then I had to change it a third time so that we would not repeat any songs. And Rob, Rob was our he, he had the master yeah. list of when he we kind of went through. He's like, okay, this song, this song, we got to take this one out, this one out, and then we had to figure out what would work. He missed one. There was one was glaring. It opium, opium. Yeah, it was opium. <laughs> that was it. And then while we were playing it, we all kind of looked at each other and we were like, oh shit, like we had a memory. Oh yeah, that was. Oh, well, it was yesterday, <laughs> wasn't it? We came on after the first set, and our tour manager was like, well. You guys tried. <laughs> ah, good opium, job, right? I was there. At least the song didn't suffer. It was a damn good opium. But go uh, ahead, Seth. Yeah, yeah. No, I was gonna say though, if you're working on, you're on the road, and then you have to like polish off uh, some some old songs. Where are you are you practicing? You guys just hitting it in the bus? Or are you actually setting up a rehearsal soundtrack. space? Again? That's what soundtracks for. Yeah, yeah so we, we we soundtrack for almost two hours every day. Yeah, and so we're that's where we that's where we do that stuff. So we're we're rehearsing for two hours a day. On, on a show day, um, typically. I mean, so anything new or anything old, uh, those are the two things we generally have to go over. You have yeah. about 50 instruments. You have to sound check every little one you might use? Um, we, they, the, the crew, so Dakota, my, my tech, does a line check on everything to make sure everything works. And then I just have to get up there and make sure everything's in the right spot and trust those guys that it's going to make a sound when I hit it. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And then you get into certain situations where we might be playing a festival, for example. And you guys never play festivals. <laughs> it, it happens. You know, I don't know, maybe we're on a boat. Who knows? And there's no time for it's a, a sound check. Well, sometimes we're on a boat, though. Uh-oh. It happens. You know, <laughs> Boats happen. Did you play yeah. on the pool deck on the open air? We did. Now, that must be a sonic nightmare. Um, the wind blowing the music all over the place? on the wind. Yeah. I had to take my ears out because the wind... It was so loud, blowing past microphones, so I just couldn't. Yeah. But usually, outdoors is actually better. I, I just it sounds better it, to where I am on. You know, the stage. and again, it depends. Like the wind is definitely a thing. You know, the wind touches a thing on, sound. on your end, but also on the audience end because sometimes your sound, when it comes out, if the wind is blowing, it can literally blow the sound a whole other oh, way. Oh, yeah. it totally does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I and was always fascinated with that, you know. And you could actually see it at times. <laughs> that's that's there. when you know your fans are literally blown away. Yes, yes, and if it cries, Mary, it can distract from the lyrics too. 
Don't let's start go back. now. <laughs> let's go back to, uh, I'm going to be selfish and start with my first year, my first Mo Show, which is 1996. And I'm gonna, you guys are going to guess the, the venue in two t- two tips. Oh, wait, is this a game show? Yes. And I okay. won't even have to say the city. First of all, you co-build with Colonel Bruce Hampton and Fiji Mariners. Second of all, the room was named after an Aerosmith song. Oh, wow. I thought you'd get that. And, and I guess they're the in the Mama Kim. Yes, Mama Kim. Oh, oh, I was thinking it was here. See, I wasn't even That's why there. I, I was thinking it was guy. in Atlanta. Yeah, Mama Kim. Yep. And I went to see Colonel. Colonel, again, leading me to great music, because that's how I found yep. out. You guys were, were, were playing there. And you were doing well in 96, but I still was a little surprised when you landed the Further Festival gig in 1997. Yep. Um, how did that happen? Um, I think there was a lot of heavy campaigning on the part of our former manager. Um that time, John Sherrill was still doing all the all the work with the dead at that point through Metropolitan, and he was doing all of our shows in New York. So, I mean, he saw that, that rise in success of our band in that era, and so he knew that, you know, we were a good candidate anyway for one of those opening slots on the tour, and our, our manager had a good relationship with him, and he just, I think he just kept hammering him, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, Hey, how about how about further festival? Uh, you know, and you know, just one of those things. And I think it was just sort of relentless. And finally, it was just like, shut the fuck up already. All right, fine, you can do this. And but you know, we were the the band that played at three o'clock from three to three thirty or something every yes, day. Yes, but you would often start early to extend your set. Is that correct? Sometimes we would do that. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Do we flip flop with with Sherry? I wasn't on further fest. Sherry Jackson. Yeah. Talking. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. Jim wasn't even there. That's how early it was. The middle of my time. <laughs> right. You were with the band, then you left, and then you came yes. back. What did you do in that interim? Uh, for three years, I played with... Um, three or four years, I played with a band out of Binghamton called Yoke. And then I, uh, I paved... I worked for a surfacing company building running tracks. So how happy were you to get back to this? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to get away from further, because there's some great... Great stuff that went on further. Um, we got to talk about Saratoga, if that's all right. We can talk about SPAC all day long. <laughs> one of my favorite venues. Which probably was sort of your home gig on that tour? No, I guess it, you played Darien Lake, too. Uh, or did you not? Yeah, but yeah, but SPAC was our... I mean, for us, it was... That's, that was our hometown gig. I mean, because we didn't do it... It wasn't a Utica gig, or... So that, was, was, that was a you know, place where we, you know, had a lot of coming-of-age experiences... As fans. As fans, sure. But I was right up front, and there was a curtain, and they started Shirt on or off? Yeah, my shirt was on. The show hadn't started yet. It came off pretty quickly, though, because they roll, they lift the curtain up, and Bob Weir's on stage with you, and you do that so for the other one, which Weir had not performed since 1985. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, I was well aware of that. How'd you yeah. talk him into that? Um, It was just one of those things where, you know, we had... Over, over the course of the tour at that point, now we had been together probably for a couple of weeks, I guess, at that point, because the tour started in Florida, and we worked our way up the, course, uh, up the, up the coast. Um, there were a few days of rehearsal in Florida, and then we worked our way up the coast, and by the time we got there, he was comfortable enough, I think, with the band, and he and I had a good enough rapport where um, I could... I could suggest something like that. The night before we played um, in Forest Hills at the tennis stadium, 
and uh, or that was the show before. I don't know if there was a day off in between. And uh, he came out for a shorter song. He, yeah, he came out and did uh, "Mama Tried" with us. Right. And so I figured if we could, if we could get him to come out and do a cowboy song with us, and that went okay, then I was like, okay, well, so how about this? You know, and then we'll we'll do something that that maybe he didn't have the opportunity to do with rat dog and he didn't hadn't had the opportunity to do with the dead in a long time it's like you know we'll we'll do the homework and we'll you know let's play the whole thing and blow some minds and you know make people want to come inside the venues a little bit earlier and do something kind of awesome you know so you know we weren't going to do anything we weren't going to do anything too elaborate or too out there you like know. St. Stephen the 11 or something right it wasn't yeah and and again we only had you know a limited amount of time but Right. Um, it was it was pretty wild. It was great. It was pretty fun. I mean, you, yeah. when you started, there was a reaction when out with a crowd. I don't know. If it was yeah. Like, Ooh. Yeah. The few people that were in there, people go to shows early. How many flyers did you have in it your was pocket a Sunday. at the time, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It was a Sunday. It was, but it was before people people started missing Sunday shows. Well, you know, it's also it the thing. Northeast where you know if it was on a Friday night, Saturday morning, it'd be a problem. But uh, Sunday, the Jews are there. Don't worry. <laughs> Speaking of Jews, the Dead used to always tour during the high holidays. They used to always play New York. And that, the that was all their pun because it was the high holidays. <laughs> Come on, you didn't get that. So what, what was it like? Coming? That's when they did. That's when they did the Hampton shows. When they did the, uh, the when they ten nine eighty nine ten eight eighty nine. When they came back as uh, what was the oh, name? The Warlocks. The Warlock shows were also were also high holiday really? shows. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I had to I had to break that news to my parents that I wasn't going to be coming home. <laughs> they were like. But but I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's like they build the show as the Warlocks. And they're like, they had no idea what that meant. Or what was it? Like, you're, going to see, you're going to see the Grateful Dead again? The You've seen the Grateful Dead 89 times already. Why do you need to go see the Grateful I was like, no, 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 because this one's built as the Warlocks. You don't understand. Like, anything could happen at this point. Like, this could be the one. Like, this could be the one where they play Ripple. Or they do the Dark Star. Or they're like... Captain, like, have no mercy. You're addicts in my life. are like, you need to come home. Yeah, like, uh, your mom says to you, Al, you're not grateful. Yeah. <laughs> The guilt kicks in. Oh yeah, but that's uh, it's interesting. The only time I ever saw a big show on the high holidays was it was Fish in Vegas, and I was on tour at the time, and I happened to travel with my chauffeur just in case I wasn't home for the holidays. <laughs> so I walked in Vegas at the show, blowing the chauffeur. It brought the chauffeur into the venue and blew the shofar in the middle of, of set break and of course you know some Jewish kids come up to me and they're like thank you so much I felt so guilty but hearing the shofar made me feel okay wow you're a good Jew uh, you know that, sometimes that's impressive so we have Jim here I want yes, now, sir. let's get back to that time where you rejoin the band now how was that was that smooth sailing or was that uh, tricky to get back in the fold and then also Al if you could follow up did that re-energize the band and did you have a little a, a, a little lift at that point there was it was tough at first because I there was a they had done two records worth of material and then other stuff that I had n not heard or didn't know so I had everything charted out in a in a little manuscript book and we did two weeks of rehearsal in at Pearl Street in Northampton when I first oh, came yeah, back right. and then started that was the beginning in '99 like right after that so they played the the New Year's show into 99 then we did two weeks of rehearsal at, at Pearl Street I think it was Pearl Street and yeah, then no, you're um, right. and then went out uh, on the road and that was another like huge touring year 
and I hadn't I hadn't been on the road in a long time and you know when I had left we we were still uh, in a van and Yoke toured in a school bus for a little while and, and they had a Winnebago at the demo had a Winnebago at the time and I didn't know how to pack for it I brought a, a like a Tupperware tote of just crap all this crap like CDs and a CD player and all this like comfort junk <laughs> to get on the thing it's like alright there's, there's no place to put this at all and I didn't know what like instruments to play at the time everything was uh, everything was up in the air so a lot of the the shows were like alright we're doing this song I'm like I, I don't know that song at all so we'll just kind of I'll figure it out <laughs> as we go do you ever get to the writers of the songs or the other members of the band ever ask for specific things or is it because I just asked Rob about how I find that a lot of his songs seem to lend themselves to the vibes and he says that well he just does that I mean did the, did the songwriters the other guys ever say hey I'd like this sound on this sometimes. song sometimes um, back then it was like uh, you know we, we want to hear percussion on this or you should play guitar on this or, or whatever but now like as we write songs it'll either um, occasionally there'll, there'll be something they want to hear and then if not I the vibes are the first thing I go to and if that doesn't work then I figure out what, what to do after that or someone's like no don't play that man hmm. <laughs> like, right. but I'll you, always jump to it first yeah not so much <laughs> and what are your memories of that time Jim rejoining the band and then the band basically um, probably hitting that stride that it now maintains today right well yeah. I guess when, when then Vinny had to join too right uh, Vinny was, was first he was already oh, there oh Vinny came in yeah, first yeah, yeah. Yes. so then there. you went to percussion because yeah. of that yes. yeah, yeah I mean honestly had Vinny not already been our drummer that would have been the solution that we went to probably that you know if we were having drummer issues at the time then you know i would have asked jim to be the drummer in our band instead of be the percussionist but we obviously had a solid drummer so that wasn't the question that wasn't the the issue so when we were we were already in the rehearsals if you remember this we were already rehearsing in northampton at the time yes. when i called you yes and we were working we were working on new songs at that point and i can't remember exactly which songs it was you probably have a better idea about which there was like this body of new songs that we were working on and then as we were working on it like i kind of i just had this this epiphany and it just had this idea about the uh, just sort of a new approach or this new development for our band i was like well you know all the other bands in our scene they they improvise in this sort of very linear fashion you stretch everything out on on the horizon and it's like vertical not vertical but the this this horizontal plane right that's that's the approach like you take a song and you make it longer and that's that's what you do and then it might might meander might go in different directions but that's the idea i said what if instead of improvising that way we looked at our song and you just took a chunk of time and you say okay this maybe this was fixed but now we can improvise in sorry improvise in you know what i sort of visualize is more of a a, a, a vertical um format or vertical plane where there was this idea that you could take a particular section and now maybe thematically or sonically we could all you know have different instruments that we worked with so you could we could take a particular section and just play variations on a theme, but now we're we're stretching out the sonic approach of what we're doing with a particular idea. So, you know, and at that time I was just like, well, you know, like I'm I was playing just still playing guitar and keyboards, I think, at that point. I was like, but what if 
you know, I brought in an acoustic guitar and a mandolin and had all of these things sort of at my disposal on stage. And that point, you know, encouraged Chuck to, to actually bring back his saxophone, saxophone for a short yeah. time. So Chuck had a sax, acoustic guitar, electric guitar on stage. Nice. Uh, dude, what did Rob have? Stand he said, stand up. He, yeah, he had also had a stand up bass. So we all had a variety of instruments on stage. And I said, and then then I brought up the idea about of Jim. I said, well, what about? I said, what if we brought back Jim? Because when he had left the band, he had just gotten like a it was like a octave and a he half had a piccolo xylophone. This little xylophone that he added to his kit. And it was on his drum kit that he would play just sort of on the side. And I was like, so he's got a little bit of like mallet experience. And so we throw that in with some other percussion. He plays acoustic guitar and he was playing the flute at the flute, time. Yeah. I was like, we could, you know, incorporate all of this stuff. So now we've got this, say it's only a 16 bar bridge or something for a song. But what if now we can just like all of a sudden the instrumentation changes and it becomes this you know we can do variations on a theme every time and that and that was the idea and so we would all have these things and it's like you know and but you have your instruments ready to go so you'd be surrounded by this 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 world of sound and then we could just so it'd be like we were in the studio but on stage it was like what if the beatles when they were at their most creative were a jam band oh and on goodness. stage and had all those instruments. Yeah. What if they had all of those studio tools at their disposal on stage and they could just be that creative live band? I was like, what if? What if? I was like, what if we did something like that instead of just playing a 30-minute guitar solo? It's like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe we could do it. You know, and I think to some extent there are bands that that explore that a little bit. You know, like Wilco comes to mind. And I don't think they do it so much live as they do it in the, the studio. studio. I mean, when they record their songs, there's five different takes, five different, radically different versions of every song that they record sometimes. And which, which I, I like, I'm fascinated by that idea. You know, often with us, it's like there's, a ver there's like the version of the song. You know, once we finally, like, it takes, sometimes it takes years for us to get to the version, sort of the definitive version of a song. And once we're there, we're there but i like the idea of you know throwing caution to the wind and say okay this is really great and now we're going to do it where like the piano is the primary instrument and now we're going to do it where you know instead of these drums we're going to use a i don't know beatbox or something for the drum track and you know what i mean just mm -hmm. keep sort of mixing it up and Did that's ever... that's where this whole thing was sort of born from and that's kind of how or why the I, it's not why the idea I mean, sort of why the idea of like bringing jim back into the folds like that was where it was born from and so i called him up i was really excited about this and we talked about this on the phone and he was like i'm not doing anything he was like that sounds awesome and then he, <laughs> yeah, you there know, you go. Like, yeah did you guys ever uh look at it also like when you look at the landscape of all the other jam bands out there percussionists sometimes get lost in like into just the sound of the band so for example a lot of times when there's a percussionist, especially congas um yeah. The band hears them. You have in ears in. You're hearing them. You're feeling, it, but the audience doesn't always it's true. Hear, right. hear the percussions. Whereas what you're doing now, Absolutely. especially with always the xylophones, that's totally unique. I don't. There's very few out there that are doing that. And, and maybe Steve Young is a bit to thank for that. They have an excellent, excellent sound. Man. Yeah, He's still Steve, yeah. Steve makes sure everything gets heard. And, yep. But the, the the congas are tough in a rock situation as far as like volume is concerned. Yeah, it just ends up being part of the part of the mix somehow yeah. and like in having it having it fit having it work is it uh, gets kind of redundant sometimes like yeah. 
and playing a Kung's in the Rock song, I find that okay, I have like four songs that it's just the same. I'm playing the almost the same exact thing and you know the same pattern. It's just a tumbao pattern and it just goes and goes and goes. And uh, so having you know having the mallet stuff and and everything else gives me a, a way bigger palette to work with. Yeah, you know I think often and not to disparage the the role that like some sometimes the like auxiliary sometimes the auxiliary percussion stuff i think is is great because it adds sometimes it's so simple jim will have like this little clave part or yeah. something and those are like some or of my favorite <laughs> some of my favorite parts in our songs he just has these like a shaker part and then like you know downward facing dog where the shaker comes <laughs> in it's just like different things that like and i love just those little elements in our song but then there are other times too, you know, where if it's just just the congos or just bongos, like it does get a little bit lost in the mix because it's not integral to a rock song, you know. Like obviously Santana, you know, that's their bread and butter, yeah, yeah. you know. And I remember, like, I got to go um, see Buena Vista Social Club at one point, and like mm-hmm. that, I mean, that percussion drives the whole thing. I mean, it's great, and it's yeah. such so, such a big part of what they do, you know. And you, you, it gives me chills just thinking about seeing them and how that all works. Because there isn't a there isn't a kit drummer there, and somehow they make it feel like there is one, because they all have their parts in that very sort of intricate, you know, rhythmic palette that they create. It's it's awesome. So you don't like going to see like a Tito Puente without the uh, Puente. Yeah, exactly. Tito's a big influence on Jim, though. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. 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 Well, I don't like going without the Tito's. <laughs> that well, Latin music is built around the the clave and the percussion parts. You know, everything has its spot. That's where the bass player gets his groove from, and uh, everything sort of builds off of that. But with playing it in like a rock situation, it's it's different. I'm just like kind of chilling with Vin, and you know, just trying to help out the the feel. So it's not. It's not as uh, pivotal in in uh, the rock and roll world. And you're not Latin, though. You know, you yeah, have, oh, you do. Puerto Rican. Yeah. Okay, well, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. Rob, what well, happened to the research, man? You're supposed to help me out. I wanted, here. To, wanted to see you stumble. <laughs> <laughs> A little more hey, improvisation into this wall, Seth. <laughs> A little more improv, because when I'm watching you guys play, not yet, but there will be. <laughs> Um, it seems generally the songwriter is the point man when you're improvising when you're within the body of a song but then when you guys go away from the structure of the song I can't always tell who's, who's leading do you guys sometimes go rudderless and completely ensemble improv yeah, and, yeah. And is that a risk to not have a point man yeah know? we don't yeah often I mean sometimes there's sort of a it's it's interesting there are certain segues that we do if we're transitioning out of a particular song where I think we just default to particular things like for example something that comes to mind is like if we're if we finish Captain America I know that Chuck is going to play some kind of lead on the way out of that because he always does and there's never a situation going out of that where he doesn't and if he didn't it would be odd but he and he just but it so it would be but, Captain America into plane crash. Excuse me? Captain America into plane yeah. crash. Yeah. What do you mean? That's... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let him talk, <laughs> Seth. So, um, so, the, so the thing is, there are, there are certain things like that, and there's, there's, there's no written rule about that. It's just a thing that's happened, you know, I guess through repetition, that we all kind of rely on that. And if it wasn't happening, Jim or I would probably pick up the ball and run with it. Um, but like there are, when we first do it, whoever 
steps up first. You know, like so the the first time we would set we ever segued out of Captain America, there was probably, you know, eight bars of like, all right, what's gonna happen? Yeah, we're now? Not, and we're never and sure, and it someone will pretty, just jump on it. We're all pretty polite about it. There's a lot of <laughs> listening that goes on for a while, and if somebody has a musical idea or starts playing louder than everybody else, then you you let them go with it. You know, um, it's like for example, last night we played Johnny Line Up, <laughs> and there are no, we don't have a set plan for who solos when in that song and Chuck asked when we were talking about it uh, we have a set list meeting before we go out on stage and Chuck said well what's the situation with the solos what's the plan Rob said what 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 do you mean what's the plan (laughs) he said well I want to know like what's you know Rob said we've been playing this song for 25 years and there's never been a plan why would we make a fucking plan now like there's no plan like okay and we just you know and then we we dropped into the song and we did just uh like a, a no huddle transition between sensory De- deprivation bank Blanket, into yeah. johnny line up as soon as we dropped into it jim just started soloing like he just picked up the ball <laughs> and, started, right, and it was just like yeah, and he went with Give it, me the ball. it like, yeah and so jim jim took that first solo break so then it was decided which jim, instrument vibes it was on the vibes yeah of course and then when we got to the second solo break i mean I, I had just taken a long solo at the end of. Well, actually, we played censored before that. But the thing, I don't know. I felt like I'd been saying too much, anyway. And so I was just like, I wanted to play rhythm guitar, so I didn't play. I was going to wait and see if Chuck did something, and he did. And and then I thought we were done. Like I thought we were only going to do two solo breaks in the song. And then Vinny kept, kept going. going. I was like, all right, I guess I'm taking a solo too. You know, so. you know that that stuff happens but really like with us like okay so like you take something like Mexico it's like we know Chuck's gonna do a solo I'm gonna do a solo that's that's set like in that song that's how the song is arranged at this point um, there's not a lot of mystery to that but 
when we're jamming from any song from like you know last night we jam from Timmy Tucker to, to Time Head to Head right yeah like the transition between Time Head and Head there was no plan for that you yeah. know Chuck started soloing at the end of Time Head and then he didn't like he stopped and just kind of laid back into the background and now we're all just here and it's like okay well we have to do something like so we, so we have to lead the way from if we, we're changing keys we're changing rhythm and somebody has to lead that sonically too while we're doing it and you know rob can do that to some extent the bass really does inform a lot of that at least um where the tonic is where the one is going to be and it's funny i don't know if rob really knows how much power he has in that regard and just don't don't tell him Um, thank god he won't listen to this yeah so the but you know, and then once we get into that situation, like we, it was more of an ensemble thing for quite a while, and then, then towards the end, like I started taking a lead because I played the intro to, to head, so it just makes sense that it would get that way. And then finally, everybody's looking at me for the cue, like when are we going to drop into the song? I'm giving everything. I'm ready. Here we go. You know. And but what then, happens when someone steps up, but the other four aren't into where they're taking it? Does that ever happen? And, and yeah. Well, how do you negotiate through that? Uh. I don't, it happens in all different ways. I don't yeah, know. it'll well, use drumsticks. So <laughs> someone will try to pull it out of that. Uh, you know, if, and it, you, <laughs> if you're if you're playing, you realize quickly when the rest of the band's like, yeah, when no. it's not working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, eh. yeah, okay. No, we're, just so <laughs> kind of get quieter. Did you tease like, me, right. <laughs> We were playing. We were playing bullet that one night and chuck was just so confused about where we were in the song because there are there in in the solo section there are there are different sections that we move through and he was cueing the end as if we had already moved through these sections and the rest of us were we were holding firm on this first section it was like we didn't transition even into the second section yet and he's trying to cue his way out of the whole thing and we're like dude we still have still here like i I don't know where where you went but you (laughs) missed the whole middle of this thing and he's just he was he was lost at this point and like just couldn't (laughs) couldn't and we couldn't reconcile that because we don't talk about these things we don't have hand signals you know a lot of we just we like to listen and play with one another that's what we do but we like to also like to have it work <laughs> um, and so you know you have these moments um, sometimes it doesn't and so you I don't know you try and cover well I want to get into Jim's instruments a little more we mentioned vibes um, yeah can you explain the difference marimba's wood keys vibes are yeah, metal mar- keys so they have more sustain but you can manipulate the sustain correct yeah vibraphone actually has a sustained pedal uh, it's actually the opposite it's a damper pedal so when I'm holding the pedal down, the bars are just ringing for how long the bars can ring. And then when I take my foot off the pedal, a little damper comes up and mutes, or not mutes them, but stops the sustain, and then they turn into like a, a very staccato instrument. So you kind of work in that the whole time, and you can like half pedal so it sustains only a little bit. You can kind of mess with it um, as far as which notes you release and, and stay quiet. And then the the marimba and the xylophone don't they're just wooden and you have to roll out notes to for sustain or to get them to last longer or whatever so that's all 
uh, manipulated completely differently. You influenced by Ruth Underwood at all? Yeah, oh yeah, yes. I was going to say also the the vibraphone also has a motor on it, so yeah. which which creates that Leslie like effect that it has. Yeah, so there's a there's a thing under the keys or under the are they keys the yeah the, the, the bars, bars on it that it's it's there's a there's a rod that has these little paddles on it essentially so as the tones are ringing underneath it it moves the air around so it kind of gives you this swirly leslie like effect under it and that's how it gets that tremolo like effect on it that's the weird thing is technically it's tremolo but that for some reason that because it's a vibraphone everybody calls it vibrato but it's it's not it's what's the most recent instruments you've added to your kit and what songs you play them on um I actually haven't added any anything in a while. It's uh, I what I've been doing is just taking parts from well, like um, when I used to play the piccolo bass and stuff, and now I'm trying to turn them into vibraphone parts or or marimba parts and stuff. I, I'd like to bring the piccolo back again, but it's it's a logistical kind of rig. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. And uh, the the dig- the electric stuff is probably the most recent, like the drum pad and um, new sounds on the mallet cat and stuff like that. What about songwriting? Want to get into songwriting? Yeah, but before we change the topic of songwriting, sure. Do have a management question, if you guys don't mind? I understand oh, yes. Al's taking. Is this true that you're taking more yeah, you of the management role manager. now? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> You're talking about Topper? He's not your manager anymore. Topper is not our no. manager any longer. After 20-some-odd years, was God. it? After 20-some-odd years. That must be yeah. a difficult decision. It was a really difficult decision. Yeah. Um, Topper Topper was a close friend of ours. And, uh, you know, uh, essentially, I don't want to, he didn't start the band with us, but was the only manager we've ever had. Um, was a... UB student also it was you know also went to school in Buffalo and the the way and he uh, he and Vinny were roommates at one point I mean he's very close with all of us um, and the reason he initially became our manager is that when he was a college student he started promoting shows locally in Buffalo and so he was bringing bands up from the city to Buffalo and he started I think with Zen Tricksters <laughs> and then he brought the authority up to Buffalo Ulu? and Schleho? No 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 this was Late before this was like even earlier this is like yeah, yeah this is like like mid 80s Max so, Creek 90s so yeah Max yeah. Creek the authority you know bands like this that were like doing really really well at Wetlands at the time you know the bands that were doing well in the city like part of that jam scene brought the, like the Mexican Mud Band like those kinds of bands up to Buffalo and they were crushing and he was making a shitload of money like as a promoter but he was a college playing student playing Broadway Joe. yeah you know playing play, doing the bar scene in Buffalo so he and he and another friend of ours um, who played in in Sonic Garden in the dead band with Vinny um, they were promoting these shows just as a thing and they were making a bunch of money doing it and became pretty successful we're like, you should probably promote Mo shows. We should, you know, and we try to get on the bill with some of those things. I think Topper was integral with getting us gigs with like the Spin Doctors early on and stuff like that. Widespread we, at the Marquee. Yeah. Um, so that's how the whole thing started. And then w- Rob and I were booking all of the shows for Mo at one point, and then Topper, we handed over all the booking to Topper, and that's how he started working with us. That was, you know, like like you said 20 some odd years ago yeah. and it had been 
I think he found us our first booking agent, took over as a pretty manager. Poly. Yeah, it's pretty poly in Boston. <laughs> and then, you know, and then, if, you know, but I guess, what was it? It was about mid-September this past year um, that we finally parted ways with him. And, you know, it's not personal, but it's, you know, this is a business. And unfortunately, we just, you know, for, for years, it just feels like, it hasn't been the right fit in terms of our business and it, and it like you said it was it was really hard to do because because he was still still a friend and we had so much history together so it was really hard to just say hey we're we want to go in a different direction and we, we thought initially that direction was getting a new manager yeah. getting a different manager that's what yeah. we wanted we wanted i don't know we wanted somebody else we wanted new connections fresh fresh thinking yeah fresh ideas. you know but we wanted you know we could look at other bands it's like okay well you know what is what does it take like can we can we have corn capshaw is that a thing like are we like would he entertain that you know because like can we talk to him and then you know is that a thing like why not go with red light or like you know one of these management companies or do something that you know and maybe that would be the thing that would take our band to the next level and we just feel like for so long everything has just been just like we've been held back by some of our some but we've been held back by our business in a lot of ways um so we interviewed maybe a dozen managers um between say september and the end of the year um all the while i was managing because somebody had to answer the phone and we were still working we, we didn't go on hiatus yeah, or take no it we didn't hang up a, <laughs> just... you know we, we didn't close the shop at all um and it was really intense at first when, when i first took over we were on tour and then we had to cancel two shows because of a hurricane i had to negotiate a deal for our red rock show this summer and it was like all in the first week and i was like holy shit i was like i had this all of a sudden i had this <laughs> huge like new like deep appreciation for all the work that topper was doing and i was I like bet. oh my god i was like i'm totally out of my element this this is horrible and i didn't sleep for two weeks probably i was working 12 15 18 hour days and i was so stressed out and i wasn't sleeping and you know i drink scotch at three o'clock in the morning just so i could go to sleep <laughs> and then wake up at seven in the morning and start doing it again and then and you know my wife said to me she's like you can't you can't you, you can't sustain this she's like you're gonna be one of those guys that has a heart attack at like your <clears throat> mid 50s or you're gonna become an alcoholic or or, or both. both yeah <laughs> or something she's like but eventually you know i kind of i kind of hit my stride and i figured it out i mean i still work 12 to 15 hour days when we're not i mean when we're on the road too but like when i'm managing at home there are long days. I wake up at eight in the morning and I work till eight or eleven o'clock at night, and it's a lot of work to do. The thing is, we, like I said, we were looking for another manager, and then after a while, like once I hit my stride and once we started doing stuff, I like it. Like I really, really like it. I, I, I told these guys, I was like, I, I, I would quit the band and manage the band if I could. I mean, I really like it, and. But then the then the thing is we had to figure out like how we could sustain that because because yeah, Al couldn't do I mean it, it would just be impossible for him to take over all that then tour write songs it was like we have to figure out a way to sort of take a weight off his shoulders because we we realized how little we knew 
about our own business the and, nuts and, and how stuff works. Yeah, right. you know. And so the more we we started finding out, um, we you know we were like, all right. Well, first of all, before we get you know, we realized before we bring anybody else into this, we need to figure out our own internal workings. You know, and, and take a good look at that and realize how all this stuff happens and how it gets done. And then once once we did that, it it was like, well, why 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 do we want to give someone twenty percent of what we make if now we know what we're actually doing? And if there's a way to distribute the work between between us and and you know, we have a great crew, um it, and those guys help out a ton and we can actually get everyone involved in this and now we don't we don't we don't have to bring someone in we don't have to you know try to you know, we've been doing this for 27 years now so to bring in another manager is kind of like well all right, we have to explain to someone what we've been doing for the past 20s and how we do stuff. Right. And then or gonna what be we this. like or what we prefer yeah. or what's important to us. And you know what? Nobody's. And this is the thing. Nobody's going to care about this as much as we do. No, Especially the bigger companies. Yeah. Because then you have bigger artists. There's that, you know? And, you know, or maybe even the little companies or another guy who would be like, you know, just it, we would be his only project. So, so then what? But it's not his project, it's ours. And so, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's ours. You know what I mean? It's our band. We should be the ones managing it. It makes sense to us. So are you this, you're spearheading the, the weight of a lot of the work, but it sounds to me like a lot of decisions are not just your decision on the band's it's, right. it's coming to the band. So, and, well, they've yeah. always yeah. been democratic. Yeah, so, yeah, we've always been, yeah, we've always been... Yeah, we've always been a democracy, um, almost like fatally. <laughs> um, and it's, but so we decided, you know, Rob shadowed me for about a month and he was skeptical because he was still all, no, we need to go with, you know, big management firm, et cetera. And then he watched it and he saw the whole thing and he was really impressed by the work that we were doing and the process. And he got, he was inspired. He got really excited about that and he then he wanted to be involved too and for the first time i mean i don't even know like since since we started the band rob is rob is engaged excited mm. motivated and he said so like at new year's he said he said this is the first time in in 20 years where i've been where where he feels like sort of i don't know re-energized about 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 Mo somehow, and, and your fans are feeling it too, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's the thing, and it's like, and I feel like the work we're doing is really, really good. Like, not just in terms of the music, but the nuts and bolts of the work. We're we're executing things in a way that we haven't been able to do before because you were once removed. We were of. once removed, and that was part of the problem. So now I talk to our booking agency every day, and I'm talking to promoters, and I'm helping to organize these things, and I'm helping to organize the people, organize the things. So when we roll out a tour, for example, there are you know, several marketing teams and promoters and the booking agency and our team, and everybody's on the same page, and that thing goes out at Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and everybody does it at the exact same time with the same information as opposed to the way that we may have done things in the past. 
where there were typos and it kind of rolled out at different times and it wasn't executed in a way that we would have liked to have seen and it's that's mm -hmm. made a difference too i think just and it's it's not work that i'm doing it's just well, it's making sure that people that. are mm -hmm. doing that work and and everybody's really excited about it our, our team like jim said our crew is really really excited right now they're all happy to be a part of this team which is awesome and we couldn't do this without them and that was one of the biggest things you know like when we we just played the capitol theater in december and there was there was a we did a brunch show uh, one of these days and you know Rob was like well, well where's the brunch I thought there was gonna be this huge brunch spread and he he thought it was gonna be like we had done these brunch shows in in Killington during the snowdown events and it was a full service wait staff you know Mimosas. eggs and whatever <laughs> and I said no 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 we talked about this I said you know Garcia's of the cap doesn't have food service so they have to bring in food for this so they're bringing in locks and bagels and different things so if anybody who wants it it's it's there and available and they're going to have it on the bar or whatever Garcia's is a small room adjacent to the Capitol Theater yes. that's right yes. yes thank you and so but and then Rob and I were sort of having this moment before the show on Sunday morning he said well this is one of those situations where I'd be really pissed at our manager he said but you did this he said so now I'm sitting here with you and he said and we have to go on stage in a couple minutes. And he said, this is no big deal. He said, but what about that day when it's a really big deal? And then I'm going to be really pissed at you, and then we have to go on stage and make music together. Then what are we going to do? Play an angry set? Yeah. Who yeah, can I yell I at? <laughs> well, and, and this is the thing, and, and this is the, the, the conclusion that we've all come to, is that, you know, again, it matters more to me than it does the... The, the scapegoat, that other person would say, oh, it's management, oh, you know, whatever. I was like, I'm accountable to the 12 people on our bus, to our road crew, to, to Jim, to, to everybody else. And if I fuck something up, I've got I gotta answer to these guys and go on stage with them. And so, you know, I have to take ownership of it and say, hey, this thing got fucked up and I'm sorry, it wasn't whatever, but hopefully I don't fuck anything <laughs> because it's it's that important to me i don't because because i i care that much about them too and i don't want to be that i don't want to be the the reason yeah. i don't want to be the guy <laughs> but certainly that yeah. is that is definitely a realistic situation where what you do have going for you that i think a younger band that would say "Ooh, listening to this oh that's a really good idea fuck my management fuck that 20 percent we're gonna do right. this on ourselves you have years of relationships like you mentioned with the promoters and and whatnot yeah. i mean you know those you, you, you're a band that's when you get a promoter that's young you know going back to the topper days when he was uh, you know doing the small shows you, you when you guys started off you would work with a promoter but as you built up and gone you know here in Atlanta you went from you know the variety Smiths to variety variety to tabernacle but you kept windstorm with you as you grew and I believe even if you did the amphitheater you you know kept them into the mix and and that that is something that not only is it valuable in the relationship with the promoter but also effectively works in your favor as now you're trying to get that two o'clock deadline or tw whatever time it was to do that release. I mean, you're hurting cats across the country to right. be able to execute something and execute it well. So that does that does pay off. I could see that. It well, was a concern when, when this first started thinking about it. Was like, well, connections and you know, knowing people in the business and all that stuff. And then we started realizing, like, well, we we actually know all these people on our own yeah you know we yeah, we are the connection yeah we've hung out <laughs> and drank the with these people and, and went out and like you know when we we don't we're not we when we play shows and stuff like that we don't like 
just kind of hide some i mean sometimes i do but um (laughs) on the the whole like as an organization you know we we don't see ourselves away so we actually know these promoters and stuff and we've spent time with them we've talked to them we've actually gone out drinking after shows and stuff and it's been decades we've been doing this so it's like well well hell we know we know everybody and those (laughs) those relationships are important to us you know we've always we've always tried to maintain those relationships like you said you know and and work with the same people you know there's no reason not to and we've we've maintained very very long relationships with people throughout the industry and that's it's just what we do but it's something we've also you know that 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 our whole crew embraces the Mm -hmm. whole team does you know we go into a venue and it's it's a priority for us to be easy to work with to to be able to work closely with it doesn't make a difference if it's somebody pushing road cases or the production manager that day or whomever like you know we're we need to be easy to work with you know we're not coming in and creating any drama or we don't want to be too demanding and that's always just been a thing like we're here to get the show done and we're all on the same page as everybody in the venue that day and we've had cases in the past where that wasn't that didn't always work with you know maybe personnel involved with us and so those were things that we had to you have to work through to make sure that we're all on the same page like priority number one is like like the, the people again it comes down to the people on the bus it's funny like we're you know we've gone through personnel changes you know over the years um and one of the things that i was at, just while we were on Jam Cruise, actually, I was having a conversation with. Uh, um, it was it was a younger band. It was uh, to me one of the guys in Dopapod or something. And then just talking about about sort of maintaining that. And you know, one of the things that I said is like, you know, for us, it's more important that like we hire good people that we can get along with because we all have to live on this bus together and travel together. And on a day off, we all hang out together. Still, mm-hmm. we all go out to dinner together and we hang out and we'll. You know, watch sports together, whatever. That's that's what we do because we all like each other. I said, and you can't train somebody to do that. You can't teach somebody that. I was mm-hmm. like, you can teach somebody how to push a road case or set up Jim's drum kit or you know whatever. Like that that part can be trained, but you can't teach those Ma- magnetism. Yeah. All right, whatever. Yeah, that those life skills. It was like so yeah. for us. It's more. It's almost more important that we just hire good people. And we'll yeah, and hope their work skills are also good. <laughs> I'll, I'll come around. A lifeless ordinary watching up for No conscience to betray you. Tall grass and dusty road. One bullet lives inside you One bullet and you're gone Lord, if you feel the rich man One stop until you're done There's a reason she won't let you go Kiss it all goodbye Your flesh, your bones, your soul
But on the decision side of stuff, uh, so primarily, are you now the one that's strategizing? Hey, we need to starve this market, or take it like today's a great example. I mean, here's you're you're doing, but you're doing a Sweetwater 420 fest, but you're also doing, yeah. you know, Sweetwater's anniversary party today, yeah. and they're a month apart from each other. Um, how's that affect you know coming back to Atlanta? You yeah, know, being able to play well, the Tabernacle. Yeah, so the, the gigs are two months apart, and there's so much stuff that came up with this. Like when they, we had already, so and I, I. I booked both of well, I mean, our booking agent booked both Certainly. of these, but it was under under my management that we got both of these gigs, and I had to decide on them when they came through. This one, this one was pretty easy to figure out, although there was some technical stuff that we had to work on um, because they have a there's a thing you know that comes up where like that stage that they have can go inside the warehouse if it needs to. If today was a rainy day, so. We had to commit to that stage, which they can roll inside the venue, which is a smaller stage than we SLR one hundred or something like it's that. A, it's an yeah. SL one hundred, right? The truck stage. It's a. Yeah. It's a. It looks Pop like up. the back of yeah. It looks <laughs> like the back of a tractor trailer, but the whole thing pops open and turns into a stage. Um, but it's smaller than we would typically like to be on for an out. This is an outdoor show with four thousand people. They sold 4,000 tickets to this thing. On a beautiful day, 70 degrees, sunny Um, skies. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to commit to it because... But it's just one of those things I had to Uh work on. And then we got the offer to do 420 Fest. And I was like, well, uh, okay. Did they know who they're talking to? It's the same (laughs) band. And they were like, no, no, no. They want you guys. But then there was a whole thing about when they were going to announce. Right. And... What our what our slot was going to be, and then you go through all of this stuff. What stage we're going to be on, where our billing is going to be, how big our name is going to be, and it becomes all this stuff that you have to go through. Beer and rocks. it was like there was a week of negotiations just to figure out when and where we were going to play on the 420 fest. It wasn't even so much between us and the event organizers as it was some of the other acts and there's it's, right. it, there's a lot of moving pieces in there mm-hmm. and everybody gets really precious with that right. thing and rightly so because well, it, it means a lot you know where where your name is on this thing and oh, what that perception exactly. is like to fans up, then other managers are going to do their job of speaking up and all of a sudden it's like whoa wait wait a second yeah. wait a second well, this doesn't make yeah, sense wait a minute. yeah so our name is small and down here only because and someone else all of a sudden pushed it and says pushed. like Seth Weiner up here uh, ladies do call me Weiner but folks it is Weiner <laughs> can we get into songwriting uh sure. yeah wait, wait let me so sure. just to finish the, the, the or close out the management conversation okay. for the time being so yeah I I, I was the, the the sole manager for our group you know through the end of the year we all had this conversation that we were going to continue self-managing. However, we've decided to take more of a team approach to it. So now everybody in the band, in sort of equal partnership, is working together as a management team. And we're having these weekly meetings in which this is an agenda meeting. And, you know, we kind of go over all the tasks and everything that need to be done for the week, for example. And, you know, it's there's no... We, we, we've gone through all these different sort of corporate structure ideas and we're so I mean it, it gets pretty involved but we sort of operate like a holacracy where there's overlapping circles and but and so I'm still I still have to take the point on everything and and it, it, it's working for the time being and that's sort of our plan that I will sort of be the lead on everything and we don't have a title at this point other than the fact that I will be the lead manager of this management team mm-hmm. and still a work anyone, in progress if yeah. anyone wants to uh, suggest any uh, new art for merch jim will be taking that on apparently 
And uh, coffee mugs are going to be Rob, correct? It's, yes. Oh, yes. It depends on the day. <laughs> Songwriting. So you wrote Chromatic Nightmare, and that, I was surprised to learn, was the first song you've written for, for Mo, anyways. Yes. Well, but, outside of Farm, Farmer Ben was the technique. Okay, that's an old one, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, Chromatic was the first new thing. I The first thing I did in 15 years, probably. But you do have other songs yeah. that you don't use at Mo at all. Have you ever contemplated a side project? Um, I did uh, for a while. There, there was um, a couple guys from the band Yoke that I played with, and myself and Vin did a, a thing called Fall. That was, um, you know, my side project. I I came up with it, and I got in contact, knew who I wanted to play in it, and All got originals? them together. And uh, sort of, um, it was a bunch of originals, and then like. Uh, weird uh mashups and like a uh, latin version of no one like you by the scorpions and a bluegrass version of i want to get high like stuff like that and <laughs> like we just it was hilarious it was you know really i, I just wanted to do something that was uh isn't the uh your new song wasn't didn't you, did you guys play that with Fall? Is that yes? Okay. Yeah, that so new song. There, there's a new song. There's a new Jim song. Yeah, what's yeah. that called? Don't want to be. It, oh. We've only played it about four times. It debuted at the Capitol. Um, Coming here today? No, because no. we played it last night. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, did you have when you toured with Dexter Grove? None, none of your originals? Um, no, no, I didn't write anything <laughs> with those guys. That was that's like a. That's where Seth first like met you, right? A that punishment is. back then. Seth, when did you first hang out with Mo? Oh, God. Real quick story. I, the first time I really hung out with Mo was uh, 98 after a show at the uh, in Gainesville. But uh, Marshall Lowe was a promoter, and we uh, went, and he's like, Hey, listen, Seth, do you want to hang out? Because I was promoting shows in Tallahassee. You guys just finished the gig in, in Gainesville. It's like, hang out. Stay at my house. Tomorrow morning, we'll go golfing. I'm like, golfing with Mo? This sounds awesome. I'm not really a golfer. It's like, uh, well, you have big feet, so you have to wear your shoes. Uh, but here's a, golf, here's a polo shirt or whatever. So I go out, and I golf with you guys. Well, not really. Actually, I golf with your bus driver. <laughs> and then I fit and we're the last one so by the time we get to you know the, the, the bar after you guys are just finishing up your last cocktails like hey Seth it's good to hang <laughs> I go back home like yeah man I went golfing with Mo Still sort of <laughs> right. good story alright now on yeah, to back Al to songwriting. now on to Al's songwriting because Al said something very interesting about three or four years ago oh Al said that, that was he, the one time. Yes. <laughs> that was the one interesting. No, but seriously. Dig through a lot of stuff. He said that he stopped writing about himself, and that previous to that, he generally had had a surplus of music and, and not of lyrics, and that when he stopped writing about himself, it flip-flopped. Is that still the case Both on both counts? It's still the case. Well, I don't know if it's still the case. Well, I don't know. It's a good good question. I have I have a surplus on both counts at this point. Finally a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, well, three or four years ago, you had a good question. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, most of my songs, yeah, for, for years were, were autobiographical in nature. You know, if it wasn't directly about me, they were certainly, they were first person songs that more or less were about me anyway. And, and it took me a long time to get to a point where I realized I could just, I could write songs about other things other scenarios other situations it wasn't just me me it wasn't you know i could hypothetical things things that you know just fictional songs whatever you know things that that just you know were 
were interesting to me and and in it, some oh, ways is that easier not necessarily not it's as just soul wrenching or, or no, not as just, vulnerable or no it's just it's just different you know it's it's fiction and like and you can still go to those places it's still stuff that you can identify with you know or that i can identify with you know and that's the thing like there has to be a spark you know a reason for that thing that makes you want to go to that place and say hey this is sort of an interesting thing at least for me or maybe a subject to write on and then um you know um but I, I I did get to a point where you know I had a I have a had a surplus of lyrics, you know the, the thing is I also have a surplus of music. They just aren't all married together at this point. So, okay. um, be you know I I don't know. Um, I I I I, st- I I like the notion of being able to 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 write about anything at this point. Well, I think this I know, and what is it, Silver Sun, on the new record. What about it? I think those are among the two best you've ever written or recorded. And oh, then that's on the you. new record. That's a good sign, wouldn't you say? I mean, do you feel like you're blossoming even? I mean, I would hope so. I hope my songwriting gets better. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'd like to think so. You know, it's songwriting is... Difficult. I've tried it. It's yeah, very difficult. It's difficult. You know, the thing is, you know, you... A lot of times... Like, I've, I've got this one thing that's stuck in my head right now. It Musically... It's stuck in my head, and I've already, I've already sung it into my iPhone, and and it, but it keeps coming back, um, and but I haven't, I haven't picked up a guitar or sat down at the piano and tried to play it yet because too busy managing. No, I, <laughs> well, there's that, but um, sometimes sometimes I'm almost afraid to because then once you, once you put it to some kind of form like that, it you're, you're almost locking it into. You're you're almost like creating. Uh, you're locking it into a thing, mm-hmm. rather than sort of letting it be for a little bit. And Does I that just kind of with any of your songs that, like that you've actually like, brought to the band is like guys, you know, kind of just want to test this out, and then all of a sudden it becomes a song. You're like, oh fuck, wait, no, 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 this isn't what I wanted to be, wanted it to be. But then yeah. you still have to play it it's because now that's a, a song. Yeah, a it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot of the time, you know. And just like, no, that's not the. It's not the groove. It's not the feel. It's not the direction I wanted to go with this thing. And then. And so then you try and change it, and then sometimes you know a lot of songs die because of that. Um, yeah. And it's just not. And then, and then you don't know what happened. You don't know why those songs didn't make it. Got a great Halloween suggestion for you: the graveyard set, and it's just like the whole show is just songs that have died. <laughs> Done in Latin. Huh. <laughs> Mash them all Put that together in there, yeah. into one <laughs> yep. long friggin' the monster mash. I like here you go in there. So on whatever whatever happened to, to the Lalas, there's a song called Haze, which you initially were going to sing, but Rob ended up singing it. Yes. How, how often does that happen? Where you write a song and you intend to sing it, but it ends up being sung by someone else in the band? It's um, the only time it's happened. It's the only time. Yeah. Well, well I Kimbo's. mean, right. I was going to say, but also he wrote that too. He wrote the music, and but Chuck had lyrics right for it so when we went in and put the song together it ended up being chuck singing his lyrics over sure. music that al had originally but also queen of everything and deep this time where oh, yeah. i wrote the music to those and then rob wrote the lyrics to those but Hayes is the only sh- sh- like, yeah, written yeah i wrote Hayes top to bottom and i was singing it there's all the early versions the first year we were playing the song it's me singing and then we got into the studio with this producer who was 
totally unfamiliar with our band. I don't think he listened to the band prior to 48 hours before getting into the studio. And he was and a drummer, then, and you were in his house, right? No, no, oh, no. No, no. Different, different record? No, same the, record. The, the owner of the studio was a drummer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Rick so Murata. it was uh, Jerry. Jerry Murata. Yeah, so Jerry Murata, the drummer on Peter Gabriel's first four records. Um, yeah. yeah, and... Uh, so it's him and Tony Levin were the rhythm section on all those records. So it's his studio in the Woodstock area where we yeah. recorded that. He was not the producer. It was a different guy that came in to produce the record. And a guy not from your fold at all, which is unusual for you guys. Right. Yeah. And, but like that's kind of what we were looking for. We wanted something, somebody outside of our wheelhouse a little bit to come in and give us a fresh perspective on things. And he did. He was like... Yeah, you shouldn't sing so much on this. Let's try. Let's try a different approach. Hmm. And then even there was a, I think, was it Skrunk? There was another song of mine where he wanted me to change the melody to the song Skrunk. on the the verses. He was just like, "Yeah, no, I don't like this. Like, you need to do something else." Like he was he was being brutally honest about yeah. some stuff that sometimes it hurt. You know, he's bent. Yeah, you know, somebody comes in and goes, "Yeah, yeah, you don't talk so much." Uh, like. Says uh, <laughs> to me all the time, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like criticizing uh, your blood, right? Yeah, it's like, hey, this is my, this, this is my art, like this is my heart and soul, and I'm just, I'm putting it on a platter for you. He's like, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> oh, you, you did that. You, you did something want something fresh. You just really going to be fresh to you, right? Yeah, fresh I with didn't, you. I didn't, you know, yeah, we didn't want something point. harsh. Yeah, um, but in a lot of ways, it was really good because he listened to all this stuff with this fresh perspective and would say things like. Okay, I don't, I don't understand. This is boring. Make it more interesting. Something. So, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Puebla, for example. He, he forced us to do something new with it, and he didn't ever have a suggestion about what that thing would be. He would just kind of say, "No, no, no, no. Go back. No, go do something else." And we would have to go back out into the studio as a band, and we just kind of. Mm you know, just work on this thing for a while and then rewrite sections of songs and, okay, okay, we think we got it, you know, and then he would listen to it and go, yeah, no, it's gotta be, gotta be more, something more, and he would sort of, like, point us in a particular direction, like, that, that one thing, I think, if nothing else, was, like, was great because the jam was just this linear thing that was one key and stayed, and now it, it moves, it, like, elevates through these steps. the whole, yeah, the whole solo And that was, that was all on his prompting. And you've taken that to the live setting too. You've taken oh, yeah. his okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's great. Like it's become this epic thing that it was lacking before. You know, we just try to get it there, but it was it was never quite got there, and now it does. And it was, was that all a high time? That was that was the it's time for the time to be time. All right, we're so. running a couple quick things. Did you chart out music for Phil Lesh and friends when you joined them? <laughs> Did you do charting? Yeah, of course. To, to how much how much work was that? It was a lot of work um, because the f- when I when I this is the time that I went out to uh, to California and I was there for like a week and we did three or four gigs together, no repeats and no set list before I went out there. So there were you know a hundred songs that we were possibly going to do, and so two weeks out you know I sat down and had a you know a lot of it I already knew which is fine you know I can go out and you know but he was relearning the material himself at the time was he not yeah yeah there was a lot of that and then we had this this really old 
a really early system by which you could um, it was it wasn't an i it was a tablet based system where which he still uses to this day or some version of it where you could have it all saved electronically on this thing and you could save all of the things that way and so I was I actually worked with Robbie Taylor to try and figure out how to get all of the songs there and put them in a way that you could scroll through them during the course of a song or a show or whatever and so just a thing okay we're gonna end with yeah. a fan question any stories from the who tour touring with the who <sighs> No, uh, we're done. Yeah, we'll, we got, we'll, it was, we'll have it was, to do it was not as awesome as yeah. you would have hoped as a fan. You don't want to hear those. The stories. only thing, the only thing that was great about it was getting to be there for soundcheck every day and sort of watching the thing and seeing the big show. But there was there was zero interaction between us. And well, I bet Daughtry talked to you, but Townsend didn't. No, neither. not even no, Daughtry. No, well, no, because they 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 literally would fly in by jet to the show, show up. 20 minutes before the show come on do their show and then leave again get in a limo go back to their jet and rock stars Ugh. yeah super rock stars and not to say that like maybe I, you know I, there was no personal interaction so I, I have nothing to say about either alright the fan letter we're going to close with this fan letter says have you met Richard Marks and if so what is he like and what did you talk about and this is from a B. Bayless in South Bend Indiana and South Bend's an educational center it's written in crayon hmm B. Bayless uh, Richard Marks, you guys ever ever meet him? Richard Marks, I have no idea. Mm. Um, I don't even know who he is, unfortunately. Oh my god! No, gosh. I've I've met B. Bayless before. Yes. <laughs> oh really? You yeah. sure it's yeah. the same one? Well, no, I don't know. The I don't crayon know if... makes me think it is, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, he came on stage with you once at Bonnaroo when he was not in shape to be on stage. Do if you, you remember that or prior, or B. Bayless. Yeah. Hmm? Richard Marks. This is the Bayless, Bayless you're thinking of that that happens to share a name with our guest, with our uh, with your question. Uh, but when he was on, when the other Bre- when the Brendan Bayless you're talking about, I assume. Yeah, that there, was my assumption. Yeah, there's one yeah. of those. He talked about in our interview joining you on stage at Bonnaroo when he was in no condition to do so. Do you remember that at all? Uh, I do. I don't think it's been the only time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I mean. <laughs> I, I'm 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 say, I mean you know to you know to the his own admission the same yeah. as well like yeah. I can I've definitely been standing next to Andy when I had no business standing <laughs> next to Andy at that time yeah <laughs> we've all been standing in front of you all in con- in conditions that we definitely I'm trying shouldn't to, have that been. was the okay so that was the that was the that was when we played the tent right. And he said he was standing on the side of the stage, and he had sent a version of Rebubula to you as a young fan. So I think that's a song you were playing that you were like, come on, right? Isn't that pretty much? That's that's pretty much it, yep. And did you notice that he wasn't in a... No. And he said he did a rush thing that kind of worked. Did it really work? Yeah. It of did. course, Okay, yeah. just asking. Yeah. I mean, he was it, wasted. <laughs> well, right. And there were, I think there were several people that, that came and sat in that yeah. night, many of whom probably shouldn't have. You did say this was Bonnaroo, right? Yeah. 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 At the early well, years. Late night in the tent. And late, late, one of those, early morning. Right. One of those things where we, you know, played for six hours and, you know, needed to have some people tag in from time to time so we could go use a restroom. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. The sun was up when we got off the stage. Like, not rising. I mean, it was up. Yeah. We are out of time, but there's certainly more questions. We'd love to get into discussing Modown with you, of course, summer camp uh, and your upcoming tour and other news. So I say we uh, we definitely need to. We'll get at you again. again. We really appreciate it, and just to prove it, we'll each pick up a little piece of garbage on the way out. Awesome.
Thank Please you. do. Yeah, <laughs> let's. Uh, we can do this again. When we come back for 420 fest. Sounds awesome. good. And maybe yeah. a game of Jamly Feud at a bar near here. <laughs> <laughs> Not if we have anything to say. Oh come on! <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. How about that, Rob? Some nice little mo music there, and I really enjoyed that interview. Very kind of them to let us conduct it on their bus. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I think if we could name this uh, interview, I'd call it Moments with Mo. He really opened up about the management situation, Al did. Yeah, yeah, that was actually... that. We got a lot more out of that than, uh, than I thought we were, um, which is it's really exciting. It was really, really exciting and really good. And it was funny, uh, for years... I've been unsure how to pronounce his last name, but today he told me... He, Topper. He, <laughs> no. Today Al told me in a way that I'll never forget how to, mis, how to, how to mispronounce, how to pronounce his name moving forward. Oh, you mean the drummer Al? <laughs> God, that's 20 episodes ago now, so... I know. Let it go. No, I can't. Come on, I have one thing. He so said it rhymes with weir. Schneer. Oh my God, look at that. I will never forget. Now Jake Sinegar's got to come up with one. Rhymes with Pinegar. Vinegar. Vinegar. Rhymes with vinegar. Well, um... Speaking of which, can I tell my little story? Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, back in the day when I was a road warrior seeing tons and tons and tons of shows years ago, mostly in the 90s, I would often drive to the next city and then check, find a hotel that would allow me to check in in the morning so that I could go to sleep and, essentially, and then wake up and essentially get two nights sleep for the price of one. Two for one. So last night, I'm a little short on cash now because we need sponsors. We friggin' people step up and sponsor us, for Christ's sake. Anyways, um, it's a great show. Sponsor. Be the lead sponsor. Get in there. Be first. You'll be special. Anyways. <laughs> so last night, um, or two nights ago, I saw Humphreys McGee, and then I have friends who work for them. Uh, preface. It, Rob left Atlanta with no money in his pocket, drove to Asheville, North Carolina, to see Humphreys McGee perform in an arena. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, it was great to see Waffles Light Show in Arena, and Chris, Chris's mix, and the band really really delivered. And Are you a big fan of Humphreys? I do enjoy their, their approach. Oh, I wasn't sure. Okay. And I do enjoy seeing them repeatedly, and the fact that they keep 
keep it compelling. But anyways, the point being, so I, I don't get to see these folks that much, and this is probably my last show for a while. So I was, I went to the hotel with them, stayed up all night. You know, we had a lot to talk about. So then I get back on the road to, to uh, I was my, I knew I had this interview Sunday morning. I just found out. We found out Friday as I was on my way to Asheville that the guys wanted to do it at 11 a.m. So as I'm leaving Saturday morning, at that point, thinking I'm still going to see Humphreys McGee that Saturday night, so I drive toward Atlanta thinking, I'll do the same thing. I'll check into the hotel in the morning, and this will be my hotel for the two nights, and it's on the way home. I'll blast right home. Dude, what is this early check-in fee bullshit? I don't know. What is it? Like 30, 50 bucks if you check in, and you have to wait until two. They have the rooms ready. Oh, well, but somehow they're more valuable at certain points a day. I do not get that. The hotel industry, always looking for ways to squeeze money out of you. It's disgusting. And we're looking for ways to squeeze money out of them. So Holiday Inn, point. Hilton, please come I was just asking. Sponsor. I was just trying to squeeze money out of people. <laughs> it's okay if a podcast does it. No, come on. We're not a multi-million dollar corporation yet. That's right. That's right. Well, um, I want to go back to this uh, episode. It, this, was, uh, this was exciting. It was really laid back and... Yeah, we've got a lot, a lot out of these guys. That it just it, it feels good to know that artists can feel as comfortable as they do to talk to us and really open up and and reveal some and amazing I things. It was very helpful of Al to shoot you that nasty look that one point when you really stepped on his answer with a terrible pun. And I felt that, and and you know what? I think I learned something. So next next Intro, episode, in, these next segments, episode, these segments are pun time. Okay, not interrupting the answer of a guest, please, for God's sake. It's noted, and after that stare, I think that... Um, oh, it was great. I love I, you, Al. I won't be doing that again. And so, and to be... Uh, Jim Lachlan, it was great to get time with him. That guy, uh, the same friend who works for Humphreys used to work for Mo. I used to be around him a lot, and Jim was the one guy in the band that I hung out with the most. He's a really down-to-earth, really cool, introspective guy. Although I did get the sense he didn't <laughs> particularly remember me. Well, that's because your shirt was on. That's right. <laughs> Uh, well, we have good stuff coming up at this point. It's not confirmed, but we do believe tomorrow we're interviewing Big Gigantic. That's correct. Um, managers out there and publicists alike, it's okay to confirm with us. Uh, you know, twenty, you know, couple days in advance, if especially you like. the time. You know, if you want us at a certain time, like say Sunday morning, you know, maybe give us a few days of notice. That'd be helpful. But, um, but yeah. Also, publicists, don't be afraid to send us product. We do have some other stuff coming up. I'd like to share that we have a very special guest uh, from the band Los Lobos. Hopefully two guests. Yes, but right now, confirmed, Steve Berlin. Excellent. I'm hoping... Yeah, who has... If you have, if you guys don't know Steve Berlin, now, now's the time to start researching for us. No well, kidding, but he has, well, there's he's, a, there's he's a lo- got a lot going on. I mean, things like he's doing stuff with Deer Tick uh, yes. and and tons of uh, producer uh, up and coming acts, very yeah, respected. But so. also that baritone sax is a big part of Los Lobos. <laughs> Would you like me to ask him to bring that? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. And if Hidalgo, if we get Hidalgo, maybe he could bring. An acoustic guitar, maybe, and on the acoustic side, Zach Deputy, we're firming up that. That I think we'll get Zach to play a little bit too. I would imagine so. I love his big booming soulful voice when he rips into R and B stuff, and and he's got the um, the island vibe. And I meant to tell you this when we were at St. John a couple of weeks ago. My my family, we were in a little grocery store getting you know groceries, and there was a poster for Zach Deputy. Did you have your headphones on in the grocery store? No, uh-huh. he had. A, <laughs> He ha- there was a poster. He was going to play like two or three days after we left. I was like, oh, man, that would have been so cool. I got to see him in Savannah once and did not know until I saw him there that that's his hometown. Mm-hmm. And, and what an enthusiastic, crazy audience that night. Did he, I, w- I wonder if they, 
That is, uh, well, outside of the island, uh, Savannah is his hometown, also Perpetual Groove's hometown. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there was some cross-pollination going on back then, or if they... Zach's were, so much more recent, though. It, it, that much more recent? I mean, he must have been, you know, playing at that time. Love to have P. Groove on, too. There's specific things I'd like to talk to them about, so I don't know if they'd be willing to, but mm, yeah, I'd we'll love see. to... Uh, they could be very enlightening and helpful to a lot of people, things that we could talk about with them. I think so. I think you're right. On the Savannah, I want to go back to Savannah. I would like to go to Savannah, maybe do an episode out of Savannah. They have a festival. Yes, they do. Um, the Bar Brothers played it a couple of years ago. What's it called? Uh, it's like... It's got a cool little name. And they have concert shows at venues all over the yeah. city for uh, a week. It's a, it's a big, it's a big it's two-week. It's not Spoleto. Spoleto is no, I think it's a two-week festival, though. Oh, speaking of festivals... Okay. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I want to reiterate, we do have applications now, workexchangeteam.com, Firefly Music Festival, yeah, let me talk Electric about- Forest. We're, we're, remember, we did talk about it in the beginning. On I the, know. So just as a reminder for everyone, um, workexchangeteam.com. Is, All I'm saying- Yeah, go ahead, Ray. I have no vested interest. Mm-hmm. This is not my company. This is not. This has nothing to do with me. But if you're young and you want to get in the music business, this is something you should do. All right, well, that's good. That's our episode. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, hopefully... Oh, next week will be another tweener, I believe. But regardless, check us out. Inside Out WTNS. And here's... Oh, Inside Out WTNS on Twitter and on Facebook. And here's some brand new music as yet unrecorded from Mo.
Thank you very much.